for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, despite many challenges to come, those fighting the coronavirus pandemic say there are still reasons to be hopeful. What keeps me going is that I do believe that this is a winnable war uh, against COVID. Dr. Lynn Paxton, head of the Fulton County Board of Health and Emory University's Dr. Carlos Del Rio, two experts on the front lines of the pandemic, join me to discuss the road ahead. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Despite recent signs of progress, we're still far from the end of the pandemic. To mark living with COVID-19 for a full year, I recently spoke with two experts fighting the pandemic about where things go from here. Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Emory University, and Dr. Lynn Paxton, director of the Fulton Board of Health. Now, we brought you the first half of that conversation on what we've learned in the last year in our previous podcast. Don't forget to go back and listen to that one if you haven't yet. Today, we're bringing you part two of our chat, which was live streamed during a special live taping of the show. It starts with me asking Dr. Paxton when we might reach herd immunity to the coronavirus. Well, I think we can we can make some educated guesses. We're not there yet. Um, I've heard estimates of what would constitute herd immunity, as you know, being anywhere from like seventy five percent to eighty five percent, somewhere in there. I think you know. Again, these are I think think guesstimates. How would we reach herd immunity? As you just said, either through vaccination or through you know natural you know infection. Um, I think of as of yesterday, like in the United States, we were only somewhere around 15%, actually, I think we were less, a 15% of, um, you know, people uh, in the United States being vaccinated. And certainly less than that of people who have um, some form of lasting immunity to COVID, because as you probably, as you're, as you're well aware, we do know that being naturally infected with COVID does confer some measure of immunity, but that immunity has, you know, basically is thought to wane after a few months. The vaccine produces, a, you know, a stronger and longer lasting uh, immunity. So I would say if your goal is to get uh, like 80% of people having a relatively longer lasting immunity, uh, we're pretty far from that. 
Dr. Del Rio, would you agree with that? I agree with that 100%. I think that, you know, maybe we are, I don't know, I tell people Thanksgiving. Well, we're going to do whatever we can to get, to get as much vaccine out as we can before then. I think that's... Oh, it. believe me, I, I, Lynn, I want, to, I want to say you guys, you and David have done an incredible job. I'm so proud of Fulton County. I'm so proud of the job you've done because the reality is we have to do everything we can to get people vaccinated and you guys have done a great job. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And this is actually great because this leads into another question that we uh, have from from our audience. And maybe this is a question, Dr. Paxton, that you could answer uh, pretty directly. I mean, how has it been rolling out vaccines? I think we're just over two months into the state having access to them. We've just had a third uh, shot authorized, one from J&J. But we know that not all states are doing equally well when it comes to rolling these out. Per CDC, Georgia is kind of close to the bottom. Um, so talk to me a little bit about some of the, I guess, challenges that y'all are facing rolling out vaccines. Oh, yes. Well, it's been, um, you know, I've been through a lot. I've been, you know, long, had a you know, relatively long career. I've been through, I've been through the HIV wars. I've been through all that. To be honest, what has caused me the most physical stress and mental stress in, in my entire career has been just this, the, the vaccine rollout. Uh, because... As you're all aware of, and for the for the reasons that Dr. Del Rio has outlined, when the, the vaccine was made available to us, and I remember that day because that was really one of the best days I've had so far. It was December 17th <laughs> when we at the Fulton County Health Department received our first doses of, of vaccine. And I was the first person to get vaccinated that, that, that day. That was the best day. But there had not been... A, I would say any truly coordinated, well thought out effort from the federal side to do anything beyond just delivering the vaccine and basically depositing it on our doorsteps and saying it's up to you to get it into people's arms. And the problem is, is that the um, we at the local level were simply really not equipped to do this because there were, uh, it's not like we were doing nothing in the months before the vaccine arrived. We were really, you know, <laughs> testing, contact tracing, all the things you have to do is keep already keeping us busy. And so what we had to do is we get the vaccine and then we had all the health departments had to independently sort of come up with, um, you know, um, a way to get people scheduled, to get appointments, to get them into, um, you know, people's bodies. And overlaid over this was the fact that we simply didn't have enough vaccine to meet the pent up demand. So what happens? Uh, we could not keep up with the increase of people wanting to schedule an appointment and weren't able to. Our systems were crashing all over Georgia, all over the United States. I was getting nasty grams all the time, you know, about why can't we do this? What are you guys doing wrong? It was almost as if they were thinking that we at the health department were personally holding on to these vaccines and trying not to get them. It was a mess. It was horrible. It was the most stressful thing. However, at the state level and at the local level, it was amazing having all of these really smart people dedicated to overcoming these problems. And we rapidly got better and to the point where I am totally proud of the set of the vaccination centers we've set up, of the fact that we are now at the point where we are taking mobile units out to go and vaccinate, uh, you know, to work with churches and vaccinate in, the, in those areas. We're going to senior centers. We are vaccinating long-term care facilities. I mean, I think it's really very impressive. And the Biden administration is starting to come through 
with their promises of making things more um, you know, available. So things have slowly gotten better. My palpitations, insomnia, and other things are getting better because uh, life is better, but we're so far from being out of the woods that I have to remind people that we give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back right now because we've managed to come through so much, but we still mm -hmm. have a lot more to do. And I think that very soon we are going to reach the point where we're going to probably get close to uh, getting the vaccine to everyone so far who wants one, but we still have the huge problem of there are many people who do not yet feel comfortable getting the vaccine. So we'll probably at some point in the next few months, be in a position where we actually have more vaccine than the actual sort of desire that's out there. And so we we're, we're starting to work on that. We, well, we've been working on it for a while, but we may, we're working on vaccine hesitancy, working with groups that are traditionally don't want to, to take this and seeing, you know, and, and, and trying to improve that mindset about vaccines so that they will accept it when they are eligible for it. Well, sure. And I, I one thing that people oh. in the U.S. don't realize is that we don't really have a good program to vaccinate adults in our country. Mm -hmm. We have pretty good programs to vaccinate children, but we mm -hmm. don't have a good program to vaccinate adults. You tell me about any vaccine that is recommended for adults and the, the acceptability, the, the use, it's grossly underutilized. Well, you're talking about the Soster vaccine, the pneumococcal vaccine, the influenza vaccine, I can go on and on. So really, this is this was really building a new road. This was really building a new program from the ground up. And it was honestly built without any resources. There was no resources to build this program. And you know, the counties, the states are building a program without any funding. And that's why you know, the passing of the bill that the Biden administration wants to pass through Congress is really important because besides support for families and others in the economy, there's support for programs to run, to do what they need to do in order to get the vaccine to people. Having the vaccine is not enough. You got to get the vaccine into arms of people. And that is complicated. One of my fellow district health directors had a set of phrase that has really stuck with me. And he says, we are building the plane as we fly it. And that is what it has felt like throughout this, that, you know, that is what we're doing. We're doing it all on the fly. Now, Dr. Del Rio, here's a question uh, maybe for you from one of our uh, viewers. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about what we know about so-called long haulers. These are people who were originally infected months and months ago and are still seeing health effects, you know, lung, neurological, cardiac issues. What do we know about how a coronavirus infection really can stick with someone for, for a long period of time? So this has been a, an interest of mine for, for now some time is because I started to see these people who would just not recover, who would not return to normal. It wasn't everybody, but there was people that wouldn't return to normal and that would have primarily problems either in their heart, their lungs, or their brain. And it's really hard to tease out because some of them are people who recover from being in the ICU. And, you know, we know that anybody who's been in the ICU takes a long time to recover. But some other people, there was a very important study from CDC showing that people who had very mild infection, one in five did not recover well. And I started to really think about this. And now the NIH is very interested. And this is a huge area of investigation going forward, because if this truly is a problem, and I believe it is, we're facing a huge problem with, with long-term disability of many Americans. And that's why I tell people getting COVID is not trivial. 
when people say, well, you know, I'm young and I just get COVID, I'm going to do fine. You know, I've seen a young person who was athletic essentially be disabled after COVID. So you're taking a gamble if you get infected. And that's why when young people say, well, I don't care, I'll get infected. So what, you know, I'll be done with this. Please don't, because chances are it's like throwing dice, right? You know, you're unlikely to win in a lottery game, but if you win, here, you, you're going to win disability. You're going to win cardiomyopathy. You're going to win myocarditis. You're going to win. I mean, I'm dealing with a, with a personal colleague that has, you know, this neurological impact of COVID that is very significant. And we really don't understand this disease well. So much we don't understand it that actually NIH is throwing a lot of money into creating this cohort to really help us understand what long COVID is. So I'm, I'm very concerned about this. I'm very intrigued by it. And I think with a lot of questions to be answered, but my best advice is don't get COVID. And, and so that, that I think gets us very nicely to, you know, we are a year into this pandemic, uh, but I think it's, it's important to highlight that there are still a lot of things that we are still learning about this virus, how it's transmitted, how it, you know, uh, makes someone sick. And so I would be curious, Dr. Paxton, for you, uh, what are the big questions that you still think we need to have answered here that we really don't even, even a year into this pandemic? There's so much. I mean, because I I deal with. I mean, people ask me questions um, uh, all the time. They email me questions. Uh, for example, people ask me, "Well, if I get vaccinated, how long does it last? Do I have to get vaccinated every year?" Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I get questions about important questions like, "I'm I'm thinking of becoming pregnant. Should I take the vaccine? Mm. You know, what 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 happens? What's my risk?" I mean, there's just so many things that I know, I, I, I trust in science. I was a researcher for decades and I know we'll get that information, but everyone wants it now. And I have to remind people and sometimes remind myself, we've only been dealing with this seriously for a year. I mean, you know, I, I guess if you go back and say, okay, the first cases were reported in December of 2019, so maybe a year and three months, and so it's almost going to be impossible to know what are long-term effects and what is this going to be like in a year or two or three. We can only make our best guesstimates. So I, I'm a believer in science. I'm a believer in the fact that, you know, you collect data as you're going on and you're willing to say, ah, we've learned something new and we're going to change a, a recommendation. Uh, although I do remind people, though, that the classic recommendations still hold, <laughs> wear a mask, social distance, all that. You know, Sam, we, you and I have spoken before. Sure. <laughs> You're never going to get away of an interview with me where I don't say that. <laughs> this is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, bringing you today part of my recent conversation with Emory University's Dr. Carlos Del Rio and Dr. Lynn Paxton, head of the Fulton County Board of Health, about what comes next in the pandemic. Well, uh, Dr. Del Rio, how about you? I mean, what are what are the big questions uh, that, that you were curious about as, as we move forward? You know, I have a lot of questions and obviously long-term immunity of the vaccines and of disease mm-hmm. is going to be very important. Long-term impact of the infection is going to be very important. What happens to this virus? I think we all, you know, I get asked this question, will I need a yearly boost? Will I, you know, what's going to happen? Will, you know, coronavirus become an endemic disease? Many times, we have to be humble and say, we don't know. This is a new disease. And a lot of times it's better to, to just say the reality. And the reality is we don't know. We can speculate. We can say, well, I think this may be the case. But the reality is saying we don't know. And we, time would tell is going to be very important. 
And I think one thing that we've learned in this pandemic, at least as scientists, and I think an important lesson is number one, we have to be humble. It's so important to say what we know and what we don't know. But it's also very important to say how science is advancing our knowledge and how what we didn't know yesterday, we may know today. Throughout the pandemic, you know, many times at the beginning, we said there's no need to wear a mask. And now we say there's a need to wear a mask. And it's not that we change our message, it's that we're learning different things. And now people are saying you need double masking. And is that a different message? And it's just how we evolve the science. And I think communicating how the science evolves is extremely, extremely hard. So I've learned to most of the time stick with the facts and stick with what I know today and try not to try to predict the future. Because, you know, Timo Yeke from CDC years ago said to me, predicting the future, when, especially when you're dealing with influenza, it's really hard. Predicting the future when you're dealing with COVID is extremely hard. I'm wondering for each of you, I mean, you are both individuals that people look to for answers. Um, I mean, is it is it hard to have to continually say, I don't know, I don't know, we don't know when, when, when people are looking for any kind of certainty? Well, you know, I, to a certain extent, you kind of get used to it. One of my my failings, though, is I've always been told when, you know, that I tend to like over explain because I really want you to understand what's all the data that went into something and and why do we know this and da, 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 da. When sometimes people just want a yes or no and yeah, <laughs> tell me, tell me what to do. So um, I've, you know, learned to try and curb some of my natural tendency. But no, I actually haven't gotten tired of saying, I don't know, because it's the truth. And I feel that where you run into trouble, you don't run into trouble for saying, I don't know, if you really don't know. Where you run into trouble is if you try to make something up or you try to sound more informative, you know, as if you have more information than you do. I think that most of the people that I talk to, they're understanding of that. And especially when I explain about, this is the way that science works. We use data. As we get more data, we refine our recommendations, we refine our things. So it doesn't mean that we were act, anyone was acting in bad faith back in the days in the, uh, you know, at the beginning of the epidemic when we said, oh, you don't need to, you don't, don't go out and buy a, an N95 mask because you're keeping it from you know, the, the healthcare workers. I mean, that wasn't done in bad faith. That was done work, you know, uh, based on what was known then. So I wish I didn't always have to say so much, I don't know, but I am not, I'm comfortable with saying, I don't know, because it is the truth. And I think people understand that. Yeah, but I think, you know, besides saying, I don't know, we can also say, I don't know, but I think this is what's going to happen. And many times people want to hear your best opinion. And again, you know, again, I, I emphasize to people, it's an opinion, but, you know, I frequently get asked, you know, I'm pregnant, should I get vaccinated? I said, well, we don't have a lot of data, but the best data we have today is I would get vaccinated. And if you were my daughter and you were pregnant, I would recommend this. And I think we have to, people sometimes are just wanting to hear our expert opinion and expert opinion sometimes is just an opinion. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't give the impression that I don't offer you know, opinions because again, I just want to be, but I try to, as I said, in my over explaining way, I try to tell, give all the data about why you, know, you would want to do this. Absolutely that. So, you know, I was kind of thinking about this event and the value of doing it kind of a year in, because I think that there's something about marking a year that kind of inherently feels like, well, it's been a year, we should be through with this soon. And I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case. But kind of looking forward, you know, 
there are certainly going to continue to be challenges. And I'm curious what, what each of you think some of those uh, biggest challenges are going to be to, you know, over the next six months, over the next year, even further out than that. What's, what, what's, what's going to be hard to do as this continues? Well, you know, I think to me, the biggest challenge is that people are just tired. The COVID fatigue is huge and people are are tired and people want to get up to normal. I mean, you know, what happened in Texas with the governor saying we're done with this. It's a feeling that everybody has. I mean, you know, I have it. I personally want to just be done with it. But I think at the same time, I know that it's almost like I'm trying to go up a mountain. And if I'm going up Everest at some point in time, I can't say, okay, we're done with this. You know, it's very dangerous to do that at certain points. So you have to really keep on going. And I think that is the toughest thing right now is dealing with with just COVID fatigue, I think. I think vaccine hesitancy, or as a friend of mine, Dr. Kimberly Manning calls it, you know, the vaccine the deciders, the people that are slow to yes. We have to talk to people. We have to listen to people. We have to hear about the concerns. We have to communicate with them. This is a, this is a labor of love. This is going to take talking to people one-on-one, hearing their concerns, hearing what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And I think we're going to have to deal in the next several months, a lot of issues, a lot of ethical issues are going to come up. You know, is a, is a vaccine going to be required? Are, you know, I've already heard of people say, you know, we need to have vaccine. For example, Israel now has this vaccine passport, this green passport. And, you know, will you be able to say, well, I need to go to a restaurant and I need to go to a concert and I will need this. How are we going to make equity be part of this process? So I think there's a lot of issues related to what kind of country do we want to be? What kind of society do we want to be as we come out of this pandemic? And I think those are going to be the really difficult questions. I do want to, though, to emphasize, you know, let's not forget that half a million Americans have already died of this disease. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that 15,000 people in Georgia have already died of the disease. I mean, to me, the number of people who have been you know, died, the, the pain that many families have, the, the PTSD that many people have. And I also worry about kids, kids being out of school for so long. We are losing a generation. There was an article I read the other day saying that these kids will never be able to have the kind of income that they could have had if school had continued. So what are we going to do to actually catch up with those kids? It's not just getting them back to school. It's really a catch-up process because the reality is education is a key to to, to a, a healthy living, right? And not having the kids in, in education and having the disparities that are gonna grow as a result of distance education, I'm really very concerned about. And I think the future of our kids is probably to me, the thing that worries me the most as I think about coming out of this pandemic. Dr. Paxton, and what, what, what are you kind of concerned about? My short-term concerns are how am I gonna get everybody vaccinated? How am I going to get sure. people who don't want to be vaccinated, vaccinated? And so that's what I'm doing every day, you know, sort of, uh, you know, working on that. My medium and long-term things actually have a lot less to do necessarily with the actual disease of COVID, but with the effects of it. Like, um, this is tragic, but I actually know of two um, middle schoolers, uh, one in my neighborhood who recently committed suicide. And it is speculated that, you know, one of the things that some of the, one of the things that led to them was isolation from, you know, the months of the pandemic and virtual, you know, not being, you know, able to be with their friends and, and the like. So there are current mental health issues that are related to the pandemic. 
And, you know, I think that's something we're going to have to, um, you know, address along with all the other things that have been related to the pandemic. Like, you know, there are suggestions of increasing drug use and the like. So, I mean, a midterm thing. But my long-term uh, thing actually has to deal um, it, it, with something that COVID made evident but didn't cause. And that's going back to the disparities. You know, we knew that we're there but have been gotten progressively worse over the last uh, several years. I was very much struck by an article that came out that was published in The Lancet done by reputable scientists from like Harvard, UCSF, other places, you know, showing that even before COVID, that we have had excess deaths in the United States, you know, at somewhere, I think it was like 460,000 excess deaths and primarily in people of color and people in lower socioeconomic status due to policies in place, loss of insurance, loss of employment. And then that only accelerated when um, COVID came along. And then, you know, with an estimate, uh, estimated like 40% of all of the COVID deaths, at least at the time of the study was done, were probably due to these, these factors. So my long-term worry and concern is what can we do at my level to um, try to combat some of those disparities? And so, so again, so I have short, medium, and sort of long-term goals here. Well, sure. And you know, I, th- I think on so many fronts, um, a lot of work to be done. You know, there's certainly been a lot of somber news and and there will continue to be related to this pandemic, but maybe not to end on that note, uh, Dr. Del Rio, I mean, is there anything at this point in time, a year in, still a long way to go that, you know, gives you hope? Oh, a lot of things give me hope. And I think, first of all, this is going to be over. Let's be, let's be clear about that. Second, I think science has been amazing. I mean, the fact that we got vaccines so quickly the fact that you know science has really been there. Number three, I think you know solidarity. I mean, people have been incredible. The way that I've seen healthcare workers and I've seen first respondents and others step up to the plate and work tirelessly throughout this pandemic is something that I I just have incredible respect and admiration for the people that I work with, and uh, and again you know continue to emphasize their dedication at the time like this. But, but what gives me hope is that we are a society and we are a, a society that cares. And Americans have traditionally been caring individuals. And I think that, I think at the end of the day, we will come together and we will get out of this because it is in our best interest. And let's forget the politics, let's forget everything else. And let's just say, how can we end up this pandemic? And I think, I think we're in a good point right now as a nation in which hopefully we will come together and we will do the right thing for us and for the world. Because at the end of the day, we also need to remember that America has a leadership role globally to play in this pandemic. We cannot be just say America first because it's a global pandemic. We gotta make sure that we help and we get vaccines and we ensure that vaccines get to other countries because in order to end this pandemic, we gotta end this global pandemic. I am very hopeful where we are right now. I think we're gonna be seeing the end of this, it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be like turning a switch. It's going to be more like turning off a faucet. It's going to be slow. Sometimes it's going to be coming more than others. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to be, you know, very happy that, and I predict sometime in 2022, life is going to be 
more normal than it's been right now. And, you know, we're going to have to have a, a period of, of national healing, honestly. I think a lot of healing is going to be necessary. And I think a lot of investment, I, I go back to investment in our society, in our kids, in our, in our most vulnerable, because they have been heavily impacted by this pandemic. And we cannot just say, oh, it's back to business as usual. And, and Dr. Paxton, to give you uh, kind of the final word here, how about you? I mean, what, what keeps you going? What keeps me going is that I do believe that this is a winnable war uh, against COVID. Uh, so along with what Dr. Del Rio has says, you know, uh, sometimes I wake up and I just think, oh my God, we got a vaccine within a year of this, you know, first really becoming a becoming an, an issue, and that's something that all we should be happy with and proud of. We, despite the initial uh, bumps and hurdles, are becoming increasingly more effective at getting it out, and I believe that uh, we will succeed in our goal of getting enough people vaccinated that we can really start, you know, as Dr. Um, um, Dorio has said, you know, we can really start healing from this. I also tend to be a bit of a cockeyed optimist and I am hopeful that we as a nation will take some lessons from this because one thing I can, I can't tell you when this, exactly when this epidemic is going to, to end. Uh, but what I can also tell you is that there will be another epidemic. It might not be, you know, next year, it might not be five years or 10 years, but there will be another epidemic. And my hope is that we will have learned enough from this one that will be better prepared for the next one that comes. And that not only will we be better prepared for epidemics, in the meantime, we will have done a better job at reducing these equities so that all of us can be healthier and happier and insaner. Um, so those are kind of my hopes. And again, maybe the cockeyed optimism uh, there, but I think it's incumbent upon us to just keep fighting for it and you know, not let it drop off of people's uh, radar. Dr. Lynn Paxton leads the Fulton County Board of Health. Dr. Carlos Del Rio is an infectious diseases expert at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is Chief Content Officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate.
and thanks.